First John chapter 4, verses 12 to 21. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let me pray. Father God, help us to hear your word from your Apostle John. Work amongst us by your spirit that we may not just hear, but believe and obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was on the computer the other day and I did a bit of a drawing. of. This is what I drew. I used my little touchpad with my finger. You might want to tell me what this is. What's it like? This is what I drew. What do I draw? Huh? A potato. <laughs> I think it's simpler than a potato. Well, look, I, I, you don't seem to recognise what I drew, but I asked the computer. I asked the computer to draw it for me, and then so I told the computer to draw me this, and this is what the computer drew. Have you ever tried to draw a perfect circle? perfect circle, the sort that a computer can draw except for pixelation. It's impossible for a human being to draw a perfect circle. There'll be bumps, there'll be waves and they'll turn into ovals and eggs and potatoes because a true circle is perfect. It cannot be more circular. It's complete with no beginning and no end. Have you heard about the circle of life? I'm sure all you all have, The Lion King. Uh, it's got this song that goes something along the lines of, from the day we arrive on the planet, there's so much more to see and so much more to do that can ever be done. And so we go round and round and the sun keeps orbiting our circular planet and you get to the chorus, it's the circle of life. And it moves us all through despair and hope through faith and love, till we find our place on the path unwinding in the circle, in the circle of life. And you can just see Simba being held up on the rock. It's an inspiring notion, isn't it? 
Life's this wonderful circle. We just get caught up in the circle. You know, I looked up these lyrics online and one person, I put in their comments, they said this, it pretty much sums up what happens in life. We are born, we go through loss and pain, we find friendship, we find life, we have children of our own and we pass away and the circle continues on and on. It's a popular notion in a lot of New Age thinking in aspects of Buddhism and Hinduism. Everything goes round and round and we find our place, we find our significance in the cycle, in the circle, till we are absorbed into the circle. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Sounds beautiful. Almost hopeful. But I have to say it's such an imperfect circle that it's kind of almost no circle at all. Because if my life is any guide, it's more like a twisted coat hanger than that's been unwound and you can't get the ends to join together again. It's all wonky, it's all twisted, it's bent, it's got its ups and downs, it starts here, it finishes there, but there's no joining. You keep putting it and it just won't bend and you can't force it. There is no circle. So what is life? Is it a circle going round? Is it a bent coat hanger that we just have to endure and we start here and we end there and oh my, what's that all about? The Bible teaches us that life is not a circle. It's not even a bent coat hanger. But life has a purpose. A purpose that is only realised in relationship with God our Creator. As people made in His image. We were made for a relationship of love with God. That we would love God, that God would love us. And God's love is perfect. We looked at that last week. It's complete and it's full. It's pure and holy. A perfect circle needing no improvement. And our love is an unravelled coat hanger. Marred by imperfection. Our love is somewhat like a children's toy to God's love. You know those, I don't see them much. These those circles with the derriers you put the shapes in. You try and put the square in the triangle or the circle shape and you just can't get in. The kid sits there until they find the circle matches. Ooh, circle. That's what we are like fitting into the love of God. A square peg in a round hole. We don't fit with God's perfect love. We do not belong. We are unsuitable for a relationship with the living God we're unravelled coat hangers. He is the perfect circle. You know what happens to unravelled coat hangers? The lucky ones become car aerials. Most of them just get thrown in the rubbish bin. They might get poked around here and there for a while. And that is our destiny, the fearful prospect of facing God, not at his friend, but as his twisted, distorted, disfigured image, fit for nothing. The gospel, 
is good news. Because God in his love takes the initiative to straighten us out, to round out what is bent and broken, to make us fit for his kingdom and for a relationship with him. He does this by uniting us to the Lord Jesus who as we've just remembered at communion takes our bent and broken and twisted coat hanger lives and pays the price for them, bears the judgment and unites us to him so that we are moulded into his perfect circle of love. We're in a series, Live, Love, Life from 1 John. Last week in this series we reached the zenith of John's first letter. The summit where he outlined perfect love. Chapter 4 verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is the summit. This week we begin the descent. And as we begin the descent, if you were following as Sasha was reading, I don't know, it's pretty tricky. It's a bit like we're going round and round in circles, spiralling down the mountain. Today's passage, tick, tick, Sam. Thank you. Beautiful. And the next one. Today's passage, one idea moves on to the next in very quick succession. And before long, it sounds like John's just repeating himself yet again. In fact, John's repeating many of the main themes that he has raised in his letter so far. He's been hammering away at them, but so far, in isolation. The passage before us this morning is critical because what John does is he pulls all these themes together And he ties them up as a unified whole that is indivisible. That is, assurance of salvation. He's spoken on that before. Belief that Jesus is the Son of God, come in the flesh. The demonstration of God's love through Jesus. The command and the expectations that we as his followers must love one another. These are all brought together in a unity that I would like to call the circle of love. Circle because John keeps using circular language. Circle because of the perfection of God's love demonstrated to us. Circle because these ideas kind of feed onto one another and seem to go around in circles and make an indivisible whole. The starting point, where John starts, he starts with the love of God. We are bent coat hangers. The perfect circle that we're drawn into is all because of God's grace. No one has ever seen God, in verse 12, but if we love one another, God lives in us and we, his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. God, fully God, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift so that we live in him and he lives in us. We share in the life of God. 
We share, therefore, in the love of God. We are, to use the phrase, born again, new life, by the Spirit of God, we're made alive to God. It's all grace. It's all God's gift. Hallelujah. It all starts with the love of God. And the Holy Spirit then opens our eyes and lets the light of God in so that we can now walk in the light instead of the darkness. The Spirit enables us to see and understand the things of God, the deep things of God. Here they are, verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. That is the deep things of God. That is the light. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And if you've been reading through 1 John, John's been hammering this away. Jesus is the Son of God. Come in the flesh. He's the Son of God. Come in the flesh. You must believe. You must believe. You must believe. Jesus is the Son of God. Come in the flesh. The Spirit enables us to see and to make that testimony about Jesus as God's Son, the Saviour of the world. And John says everything hangs upon this confession. And so we read in verse 15, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. They have the Spirit. And this is the Spirit's work. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 12, No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That basic confession, it's the gift of the Spirit. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to confess that he is the Christ, the Messianic King promised in the Old Testament that he is the Saviour of the world, that he is the fulfilment of all of God's promises and that he is our only hope. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, made righteous, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This is the work of God's Spirit. This is the basic response. And John is again emphatic. Anybody who makes that confession, well, God lives in that person and they live in God. They have been drawn into the circle of love just by that confession. But this confession is so much more than head knowledge or simply words. You know, you can become a Muslim by sincerely saying some words. But this is so much more what John is talking about, confessing that Jesus is Lord. Because a true confession that Jesus is Lord indicates that we have come to know and understand God's love for us. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love that God has for us. And so we know and literally believe or have faith in the love of God for us. We believe that God loves us. We put our faith in that fact. We know for sure, as John says in verse 9, that God has shown his love amongst us because he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love we know, not that we loved God, no, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so John says it yet again here, in verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. For the third time since verse 12, John says this little phrase, we live in God for the believer and God lives in us. He has given us his spirit. We've been drawn into the circle of love. The perfect love of God. And it all starts with the gift of the spirit, with God's grace. Many believers, maybe you, long for a sign to help them be assured that they are acceptable to God. Give me something so that I know you love me, God, that I know I'm good enough. Perhaps they look at their own self-esteem or their own empty lives and feel that they're unworthy and hopeless. That I'm below God's standards. Really, I'm just a bent coat hanger. And God is perfection. Perhaps it is that a particular sin overwhelms you. You just can't let go of. Something you did in the past. Something you struggle with today, perhaps. And it just condemns you again and again and again. And, and you feel that God is distant. Wouldn't come near me. And you long for an experience, something that says, well, now I've come to know God in an unmistakable way. That he loves me, that that I'm his child. How can you know for sure that you have the Spirit of God? Well, here's an option. How about you look for some demonstrable sign of God's Spirit that in some way exalts you? Because, you know, the Spirit is a gift. If you are given jewellery, ladies, if you are given a car, let's say, men, do you not want a gift that exalts you? So the jewellery, people say, oh, you look good in that, because it's expensive and it's, oh, yeah, a bit of bling. Don't you want that car, guys? You've got to get a gift. Hi, girls, look at me. You know, the, the, the gift exalts you, makes you look good, better than you feel. It particularly happens to middle-aged men. They get themselves a gift to feel a bit better because they want to be exalted. So it is often with the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to exalt us And then we believe that we will surely be a child of God because look how good we look. You hear this sort of thing. You can be sure you have the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. Then you'll know for sure. You can be sure you have the Holy Spirit if you hear this inner voice of guidance. And you keep responding to these promptings and and you know that God's leading you. You can be sure you have the Holy Spirit if you lead in worship. And you have gifts for doing that sort of thing. 
Or if you're an evangelist and you lead people to faith, then you must have the Holy Spirit. If you experience spectacular miracles, now I know that God's with me. You know you have the Holy Spirit if you have a spiritual gift that exalts you. God gives his spirit to open our eyes and begin a work to make us more like Jesus. Spiritual gifts are not given to exalt you. They are given to serve God's church. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to exalt us or you but the Lord Jesus and his body. So the mark of the Spirit is not a mystical experience or a spectacular event. The mark of the Spirit is eyes open to see and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the Saviour of the world and the Spirit then motivates within us a sincere desire to respond to God's love by loving others. And that is the mark of the Spirit's work. These are sure signs that you have been born anew by the Spirit of God. And having given us his Spirit, God has promised that he will continue his work so that his love is made complete or even perfected in us. Verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete amongst us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. See, God's love gives us confidence for the day of judgment. Chapter 3, John's letter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Children of God through his love. The love that God lavished on us is the same love with which he loves his one and only son. God looks upon us, his children in Christ, and he sees the perfection of his son, whom he has loved from all eternity. Having been drawn into the circle of love, having understood how much God loves us, we can look forward with confidence even to the day of judgment because we know we are loved, we're his children. John says, in this world we are like Jesus. That's how much God loves us. In this world we are like Jesus. We call God Father. In Christ we are pure and holy. And what a difference it makes. You know, the unbeliever fears God. Now, they have to fear God. They may say that they're not sure about God, that they're an agnostic sitting on the fence. They may say, I'm an atheist, I don't even believe in God. What is there to fear? They may say, look, I think I'm okay. I think God's all right with me. I don't think God minds. I've lived a good life. They may be committed to another religion, another works-based religion where they have to go through the motions to prove that they're a good person. But the unbeliever, will, wherever they are on that spectrum, will have no assurance. Not the assurance that John speaks of, and so they will fear God. Because what if they're wrong? What if they're not good enough? And death just doesn't go away. 
the dark night, the prospect of facing God. They come under judgment. See, unless you're drawn into this perfect circle of love, you're outside, you don't fit. You're a twisted coat hanger, you're going to be thrown away, you're going to face the judgment. But what a difference it makes if you are drawn into the perfect circle of love. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love because we have confidence that God loves us. And that punishment has been averted as we remembered at communion. John says, don't fear, you are a child of God. He loves you. You're in him. So I wonder, do you fear God? The Bible says we must fear God. But there are two types of fear the Bible speaks of. Because John is not talking about holy respect and awe and awareness of God's greatness and power. John is not talking about the sort of fear that rightly leads to repentance and faith that God is judge and I need to turn to him. He's not talking about the rightful fear that should come from the creature meeting the creator, a sinner meeting the holy Lord of the universe. John is talking about the sort of fear that leads you to think that God is against you. I fear God because he is against me. He is wanting my pain. He is my enemy and I fear him. There is no fear in love. If you think that God is somehow more interested in punishing you than loving you, you have not understood the love of God. Do you imagine that God is standing there all the time with a big stick waiting for you to fail so that he can whack you and have a little giggle at his almighty expense? The devil is the accuser. The devil wants you to doubt the love of God. He wants you to fear God just as he did in the Garden of Eden. He wants you to think that God wants your second best. The devil wants to whisper in our ears and tell us that we're a failure. Actually, you're not a Christian at all. Actually, God doesn't love you at all. You're not good enough. You're a bent coat hanger. That is the devil's work. That is the devil's lie. The Spirit of God wants us to have confidence and assurance of his love. He wants us to know his love. Or as Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, I want you to know, this is what I want you to know. Boy, if we could all know this, if I could have a church where everybody knew this, if my life could be manifest by this, I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. If you just knew how much God loves you, 
if you just stop listening to the devil's lies. If you just be confident in my love that you are my child, that I've drawn you into my perfect circle of love, that it's okay, Jesus has died for you. I love you. Do you think the Lord Jesus cringes in terror before the Father? Do you think the Holy Spirit lives in fear lest he has stuffed up somehow and the Father is not pleased with his work in the world amongst his people? We are in Christ. We share in the Spirit of God. How can we fear God in that way? We've been drawn into the circle of love and so we can humbly yet sincerely, sincerely share the same boldness and confidence and freedom before the Father that the Lord Jesus shares before him. Because that is our right. That is our standing. And if we're always afraid of what the Father might do, you know what John says? Well, you don't really love him. And if we don't love the Father, really, it's because we don't really believe that he loves us. And it's because we've taken our eyes off the cross and we've put them back onto ourselves. And we're just so busy looking at all the bumps and bends in this coat hanger. We've taken our eyes off the perfection that we've been united to in Christ. Wonderful circle of love, but it's not yet complete. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Our punishment has been paid. It's been paid in full. There is no debt owing except the ongoing debt to love one another. God's love has been perfected in Jesus and it has set us free. Free from this fear, fear free from any performance treadmill, free from insecurity, free to love others as we have been loved. The circle of love must expand through us as we love others. So we come to the end of this passage, the end of this circular passage where John's wrapping everything up. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you've been following John's letter, he's banging away at the drum, banging away at the drum, banging away at the drum. If you know God's love for you, you better love one another, you better love one another, you better love one another. The circle of love comes full circle in our love for others. This becomes proof. This becomes grounds for assurance that we have the Spirit of God. Love for the unseen Lord is expressed not in words or in isolated acts of piety and being religious, but in love for those whom we do see, those whom you live with. So we so often want to simplify our spirituality. We think we're making it more complex. We think we're reaching the next level of wonder and glory, but we're actually simplifying our spirituality. You know, if I sing this song, 
with an appropriate level of fervour and the goosebumps run down my back, then this really shows that I love God. That person who always prays with their hands raised, they really love God. That person who drives the old car and tells you that they are not bound to this world and that they're thinking of selling it perhaps, Because I just need me and God. The person who has so sought God, so they say, that they're always speaking with this wonderful sense of lightness and air. And the God language just spills forth all the time. Sometimes we say, stop, just stop it, just give it a break for a moment. They really love God. Now maybe those, all those things are good and sincere and are an expression of love for God. But if we say that is reaching the high level of spirituality, we cheapen spirituality. We cheapen the Christian faith. We look to externals that we can manufacture rather than what God does by his spirit. The great evidence of the person who loves God is that they love others. The great measure is sacrifice. The great measure is the pain they bear for the good of others. Sometimes it's just as simple as a listening ear, a person who listens a lot. They sacrifice in ways that doesn't count the cost, doesn't bring attention to themselves. They seek others' good because they have confidence and they're secure in the love of God. They don't need to manufacture an external. And if the externals come, well, it's just natural. But you know those people. You know the people who may have these things that have externally look very, very spiritual, but you know their heart and you know that it's flowing from a heart that's been transformed. And I suspect a few of us can have the suspicion sometimes where the externals are not flowing from a heart transformed and it's a bit scary. Do you love God? Do you love others? That is a truly spiritual person. This is a hard passage. If you go home and read it, you'll find it hard to put together. This is my best attempt to try and unify it and I do think it unifies. It's a circle of love. Take any one or bit of anything away and you lose it. And you know, it flows any, each and every way and you can start at any point and you can flow around this way and flow around that way but you take one of those things away and the whole thing falls apart. Jesus is the Son of God. Come in the flesh, Saviour of the world. Take that away, the whole thing falls apart. The Spirit's work in our life, the gift of God, the priority of grace, take that away. What have you got to know that God loves you? You've got to believe in God's love. You've got to rely on it. And that comes to us. God's shown us that. You can't just have blind. You've got to have confidence in God's love because won't that lead to that? And if you take away the, your confidence in God's love, well, all the rest feels insecure. And, and if you're not loving others, well, what grounds have you for any assurance? The circle's not complete. That just becomes Knowledge. That becomes a joke. That becomes a con. If you're not loving others,
And it's such a beautiful circle. Because you know what it tells us? Our lives are not a breath in an empty cosmos. Our lives have purpose. Because love gives our life purpose. We can have purpose if we look to the Jesus and ask him to straighten us out, to unite us into his perfect love, to call us as children of God, his brothers, his sisters, to know that we are loved with an everlasting love, to know that we will share in God's glorious kingdom because in Christ we are fit, pure and holy, that we will love forever. And because of this, life counts. Life has meaning. So don't waste it. Don't waste the perfection into what you, which you've been drawn. Don't waste the fact that you are God's jewel. It's a paradox, church. First Sunday of the year, lots of people are on holidays and I'm looking out on a room full of bent coat hangers. Some of you do a better job of hiding the bumps than others. Perhaps some of you are deceived. You think you're not that bent. You're, you're a mess. But most of you know that you're a mess. What a paradox church is. I'm looking out of a room, mostly, I believe, by God's grace, full of perfection. People transformed and being transformed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. People who are made for love. People who have been called to love. People who have been called to transform the world and call people to perfection and to hope and to glory. Have a great year. Why don't you commit yourself as best you can under the Spirit's help to round to a nice fat round year conformed to the perfect love of Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, help us to live by faith in our Saviour Jesus. Help us to know your love which surpasses knowledge that we might be conformed to the fullness the glory of your perfect love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to reflect on aspects of that sermon as we sing. We have two songs to sing. Um, We're going to start by singing Rock of Ages, thinking again about it's, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I think I still need time to process um, that God, that he, I guess his spirit lives, his, not, I guess, his spirit lives in us and empowers us to love others um, and that we don't have that because of our own standing, because of our own goodness, um, but that we are loved by God and have the power to love others because of his son Jesus. So please stand as we sing Rock of Ages. <laughs>